Here's the story of the guy who threatened my life three times last week and the spiritual lessons I've taken from it. Welcome to the podcast of St. Basil the Great Catholic Church in Brecksville, Ohio, with homilies, talks, and interviews relevant to your Catholic faith. God bless you and enjoy. So the other day, actually a few weeks ago now, a guy threatened my life three times. And he seemed pretty serious, actually. As you can imagine, it ruined my day. It actually ruined the next couple of days for me. And I want to share some reflections on this whole ordeal and what I think God was trying to teach me through it. But first, here's what happened. This took place, of course, in a parking lot. We all know road rage is real, but my friends, parking lot rage is also real. It was the middle of the day, and I'm in a parking lot here in town. And this was a busy parking lot, so there was a line of cars in the driving lane, right? As I'm walking to my truck, which is parked there, I'm trying to leave, there are two cars in the end of this long line. The last car in the line is directly behind my truck. That car backed up so that I could pull out. He was the last one in line, so it was easy for him to back up. Well, I get in, I look in my mirrors, I see that I can back up without hitting the other car, which is in front of that one. I've got about two feet. It's kind of close. I would only clear it by about two feet, and I'd be pulling out you know, behind that car. But I didn't, I didn't pull back. All I did is put my car in reverse, so maybe he would see my white reverse lights are on. And then he would get the message that I'm trying to leave and he could move forward a bit to give me more room. Because he had about 12 or 15 feet between his car and the car in front of him. I didn't rev the engine. I didn't jump backwards in reverse real quick or anything like that. Just put my reverse lights on so he would see. Now my window was down and my head is also out the side so he can see that I'm trying to back up. And hopefully he'll kindly pull forward and give me a little more room. And I had decided that if he doesn't see me, I'll just wait for these cars to move. Well, his windows were already down too. My window was down. So he yelled out his window to me, If you hit this bleeping car, I will kill you. But he didn't say bleeping, alright? Instead, he used the worst word in the English language. So I didn't say anything. I just stared at this guy kind of in shock. And you might think that if you yell that at somebody, the moment you hear it come out of your mouth, you might instantly regret it. You know, regret swearing at a stranger and threatening to kill him? Well, no, because, again, a second time, but this time more loudly, more clearly, more slowly, he said the exact same phrase, said, if you hit this bleeping car, I will kill you. Well, needless to say, I was not expecting this. I'm sort of in shock, sort of scared. I didn't say anything. I didn't want to give this person anything else to react to. So I just was silent. I wanted his words to sort of hang out there in the air so he would have to hear them and confront them himself and confront how he's acting. So I just stayed silent and just kept staring at this guy. 
And I didn't keep backing up or anything. But then he says something else. He says, how old are you anyways? I don't know. I didn't really understand that. As if I look like I'm 16 and just got my license or something and don't know how to drive. I don't know why he asked that. But he saw me walk around and get into my truck. I mean, I'm I'm 38. I'm six foot four, 240 pounds. I'm wearing a camouflage hat and getting in a big pickup truck. I mean, if you're going to follow stereotypes, I don't, I don't know that I would be the first person you would want to threaten. But I don't know. Maybe I just have the kind of face that looks like it needs a good punching. So anyways, I continued saying nothing because I don't know what to say. And I don't think he really wanted to know my age. And I wasn't about to start telling him all my biographical information. It just wasn't that kind of conversation, you know. But then he says, he just keeps talking. And he says, it's not my fault. And I didn't really know what that meant either. Maybe he's saying it's not his fault that this long line of cars is backed up. Which, he's right. It's not his fault. But anyways, now he takes this opportunity to reiterate for the third time just what will happen. In case I missed it the first two times, he says, if you hit this bleeping car, I will kill you. He's just making sure that I knew if A, then B. A would lead to B. B would just be a natural, unavoidable consequence of A. Well, after all this, I'm still silent. And finally, he moves his car forward so that I can back out more easily. And I left. And that was the end of that. Although, that wasn't the end of that. Because I did continue on with my day, but for the rest of the night, I was thinking about this. I couldn't get it out of my head. I mean, what had just happened? Who does that? I'm just really glad that my kids weren't in the car, and his kids weren't in his car. Like I said, this ruined my day. I was angry, I was hurt, I was shocked, I was nervous, I was scared, I was just on edge, sort of jittery. And that could be the end of the story. You know, This thing happened and it bothered me in these ways. But that's a bad story. That's a bad ending. That's not a good story. And we know that God can bring good out of any evil. He can tack on a good ending to a bad story. In fact, the Lord allows evil so he can bring a greater good out of it. A greater good that wouldn't have happened if the evil hadn't made it possible. So I felt like I had to reflect on this story and, and how it made me feel and learn some spiritual lessons from it. Otherwise, it's just a waste. And I, I don't want to squander the opportunity to learn something about God, learn something about myself. So what was God saying? Well, well, thanks be to God, my reflections on this episode were pretty fruitful. Lesson number one, this guy is not a happy guy. Something is going on in his life. Something is off. Maybe it's a relationship with others or it's internal conflict. Whatever it is, it's worse than what happened to me. It's worse than what he did to me. Something in his life, worse than my bad day, caused my bad day. So truly, I should feel sadness not because I had my feelings hurt, but because he felt the need to hurt my feelings. The ancient Greek philosophers discussed this idea centuries before Christ. Plato concluded, it's better to suffer evil than to commit evil. 
It's better to have evil done to you than to do evil to someone else. Now, of course, hopefully life isn't always like that, but of course, there are going to be times when evil is perpetrated against us on a small scale or a large scale, and we can either take it and deal with it the best we can and forgive, or we can use that as an excuse to add more evil into the world and get revenge. Lesson number two. Lesson number two is I got to pray for this guy and this guy's kids and this guy's family members for all the reasons I just mentioned. So I did pray for him. I prayed for him a couple times and I prayed for him again right before recording this podcast because I pray before these. I pray for all you listeners too. Lesson number three. Remember the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Yeah, it's not true, at least for me, at least not yet. I know some people have developed a thick skin because of their upbringing or their profession or their personality, but I haven't quite done that. A truly peculiar thing I've noticed in my own life is that almost nobody gives me a hard time. People are so nice to me. They're not mean to me, and, and, but they also don't challenge me that, that much. Um, I don't know. Maybe I just hang around amazingly virtuous people. And yeah, I work at a church, so that's out of the ordinary, and I've got to take that in, into consideration. But even in middle school, high school, and college, people just were not mean to me. I mean, it can't even be considered bullying. It happens so infrequently. I only remember one time somebody saying something that I really felt humiliated about. I was in middle school, and all my clothes were dirty, okay? I only had one clean pair of pants and one clean shirt, so I had to wear them both. The shirt was dark green. I had to wear that. And the only pair of pants I had was a pair I rarely ever wore. So that's why they were the last ones left in the drawer. And I didn't wear them that often because they were green, They were green jeans. Why did I own green jeans? Why would anyone make them? Why would I buy them? Why would I wear them? I know ladies wear all kinds of colored pants, and it looks fine, and they can get away with that. But seventh grade me, I was not about to get away with this, all right? So you couple these weird green jeans and my green shirt. I walked into homeroom, and immediately some guy said, What's up, leprechaun? That was it. That was that was like the only time I remember people making fun of me. It's so insignificant and it can't be considered bullying. This is the only story I've got. I mean, some people, some young people are seriously harassed every day for things they can't change. And all I needed to do was change my clothes and people would stop talking about it. But a lot of other people are not so lucky. So, so this was a lesson I took from this incident in the parking lot. I cannot be so invested in what people say about me or think about me. And it's a sign of pride because I always feel like I have to get people to like me. And it's a sign I'm ill-equipped for a future that seems to be on its way. The persecution, it's coming, my friends. All a faithful Catholic has to do nowadays is mention that they're a faithful Catholic. And some people will call them sexist, a misogynist, a homophobe, a bigot. I mean, quote a Bible verse and it's hate speech. All this stuff is untrue, of course, but it doesn't matter. We still get called names. And our culture used to be mildly supportive of religion. 
then maybe it was neutral, and in some ways today, it's openly antagonistic to religion. We're being pushed out of the public square and told that our religion should be private and has no place in public conversation. So the larger lesson from this silly parking lot ordeal is I need to get ready and toughen up, and maybe you do too, because I see no evidence that it's not going to get worse before it gets better. But, but there's a promise. There's a promise embedded in the Sermon on the Mount, which is the greatest speech ever given by the greatest person who ever lived. So we should take it seriously. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The fourth and final lesson, lesson number four, this one was the most illuminating for me. See, the day that this thing happened, I was fasting. I was fasting for a friend of mine. I told my friend I would not eat until 5 p.m. that day, and I'd offer up that sacrifice for them and their personal intention. But you know what happened? After I picked up my kids from school and I went home, I ate. I ate food knowing full well it was hours before 5 p.m. Now, is this some sort of huge mortal sin? No, it's not. But I broke a promise to a friend. I chose my stomach over my friend. I pretty much said, you know what? Forget it. I got my little feelings hurt, so I'm not sacrificing for you anymore. I'm going to eat because I want to and because I feel like it. See what I did there? I didn't just choose my own temporal physical pleasure over a spiritual sacrifice that I'd promised to do, but I was using food to nurse my bad feelings. This is what the Lord was showing me. He's showing me that when I'm damaged, my first choice was not to seek the Lord for healing, but food. So I was using food that day and other days as a reward, as a medicine, or as a false god. Instead of finding my hope and consolation in our Lord, once again, I was trying to fill a spiritual void with a physical pleasure. I'm weak. I mean, I couldn't hold out another two hours to eat. But I'm not going to focus on my weakness. Instead, I'm going to try and shift that focus to God's strength. You remember when God said to St. Paul, as he recounts in 2 Corinthians 12, He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. St. Paul continues on and says, I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak then I am strong. Admitting weakness is good, but focusing on weakness is not. Did you know that it's prideful to constantly think about our own weaknesses and not quickly shift the focus back to God's strength? C.S. Lewis puts it like this. Very simply, he says, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Again, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. What does this look like in real life? 
Well, if we're tempted and we fall into sin, the next thing that happens is we're going to be tempted again with a new temptation to think only of how bad and weak we are for having fallen rather than admitting that quickly and immediately moving on and turning the focus to how good and strong God is. Another way to say it is this. I forget who said it, but I remember what they said because it's so good. So listen up. When we are faced with temptation to sin, we should think about God's justice, and that will help us avoid falling. But if we do end up going through with it and committing a sin, then we should think about God's mercy. So before sin, think about God's justice. After, think about his mercy. Now what's going to be the devil's tactic? He's going to try to switch the order on us. He's going to try to get us to think about God's mercy when we're tempted, whispering to us, Oh, it's okay. God is so merciful, he'll forgive you if you go through with it. Pretty vicious, right? And then what's next? Well, if we go through with it, then the devil tries to get us to only think of God's justice, not his mercy. So the devil tries to get us to think of mercy before, justice after. Because then he wins twice. Not only have we fallen, but now we're despairing about it too. It should be the other way around. Think of justice first to try to get us not to sin, but if we do fall, that's when we dive into the ocean of mercy. The ocean of mercy that is Jesus' sacred heart. Well, those are the four spiritual lessons God taught me through that time a guy in a parking lot threatened to kill me three times. Usually I don't reflect on the events of my life this thoroughly, but I really should. God has a whole lot to show me. I should reflect on God's action more in my daily life, so I guess that's lesson number five. Thank you, Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this audio from our parish. You can find other homilies, talks, and interviews at our website, basilthegreat.org, or by subscribing to this podcast in your favorite app. Just search for St. Basil Catholic Church, Brexville. St. Basil the Great, pray for us.